Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Just a few things to discuss today. Uh, the major, major fight, the heavyweight fight on Saturday night between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, the rematch of the undefeated champions, which is the first time that's ever happened because usually when people fight, someone loses. But their first bout when they were undefeated ended in a draw. This time, not so much. And of course, the Monday tribute to Kobe Bryant, uh, the last sort of uh, national recognition for Kobe. It's been over a month now. Obviously, they had many, many things to honor Kobe. The All-Star Game, of course. Uh, Initially, right after, they had the little ceremony beforehand with, I think it was the Lakers and Trailblazers. Certainly not the la- I mean, certainly not the last time people are going to be honoring Kobe in some way. However, this was kind of the the final public send off that people can really come together as like a, a a public outing. Let's say very emotional. I watched the whole thing. It ran about two and a half hours uh, from one to three thirty ish. Eastern Time um, in LA. Of course, it started at 10 a.m. Uh, very emotional. Very emotional. We'll get into the LeBron antics also that the Los Angeles, I think it was the Los Angeles Times was kind of stirring up. And whether he was there or not, and whether it should matter. Um, but let's start with the fight on Saturday night. Now, as everyone knows, Boxing has taken a, a back seat to the UFC, which is upsetting to me. I personally, listen, I enjoy the UFC very much. I'm not saying I like one more than the other. Actually, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. I like boxing just as a sport more than the UFC. Um, but there is definitely something about the US, the UFC that and mixed martial arts in general that brings out this this uh, character in everyone who watches it. That's just it's this completely savage sport. There's every body part aside from your head is used as a weapon essentially, and there's there's grappling and takedowns and chokeouts, and it's just a, a, a slightly more coordinated street fight in a cage. That That's all it is, and it is electric to watch. Every single person who competes in the UFC, who fights professionally in that organization, is an absolute savage, and in the, in the best way possible. Meaning that they really are like top-of-the-line athletes, competitors, and just the fiercest guys on the face of the earth. No doubt about it, right? I'm not taking anything away from them. I personally, I think that's kind of why, because boxing kind of used to be viewed in, in, in that such a way when the UFC was still more of like an underground thing. Boxing was very much viewed that way where it's just two very strong, very big men 
punching the shit out of each other. And that was something that everyone really loved. Now, of course, there is a, there's the sweet science of boxing, right? The, the bobbing and weaving. Everyone knows about that, right? The, the coordinated hooks and jabs and body punches, the head movements, the body movements. There, there is a, a fine technicality to the sport of boxing that doesn't necessarily happen too much in the UFC. Of course, the UFC is calculating and you have to have a game plan going. You can't just go into a fight and be like, all right, I'm just going to go attack this guy with reckless abandonment. Like, you can't do that. You're going to get your ass beat if you do that. So there is a, a coordinated attack and a plan in UFC, but even more so in boxing. Now, the, the big fight... The first big fight between these two guys, Wilder and Fury, was way different than this one, of course. It ended in a draw. But Tyson Fury was a guy who, going into that first fight, uh, he was known as sort of a, a, a slap boxer, right? He wasn't a guy that was going to knock you out in one punch. He could. He had that power. He certainly had that power, but he wasn't a guy like Deontay Wilder, who was going to go in there and any one punch that connects, you're out for the count. Deontay Wilder was that fighter. He may not have been the most technical fighter. He may not have had the toughest draw, but he was a guy, or the, I mean the best, he did have a tough draw. He does have a tough draw, but he may not have had the best footwork or the most the best defense, but any, any, mistake that Deontay Wilder made in a match he was able to push through that and with one right hook or right jab his right hand in general any punch that he landed with that right hand could end the fight instantly he had he was known he was especially now uh he was 42 and 0 43 and 0 with 42 knockouts 41 knockouts He's a guy who was known as maybe the, had the strongest punch since Mike Tyson. One jab, catches you in the jaw, you're out like a light. Tyson Fury was more of the sweet science kind of boxing guy. And he was, when he was punching you, he was very coordinated. He would tap you, tap you, tap you, and then come in with another hook keep you at bay, keep you at bay, a little one-two quick action, jab, jab, body shots. Uh, he had a lot of movement. Gets a, He does a lot of head movement, a lot of body movements, kind of almost dances around. And he wasn't known as a guy who would put you on your ass with one punch. He just wasn't known as that. So the, the first matchup between them was very much diff, 180 different kind of styles. And... Fury fell down, I believe, twice. Um, I don't remember what rounds it are. I haven't don't remember the specifics. I think Fury fell down once. Wilder may have gotten knocked down once as well. Um, but in the end, it ended up being a draw. And this entire lead up to this fight, Tyson Fury's been talking about I'm gonna knock out Wilder, I'm gonna knock him out, I'm gonna knock him out in the second round, I'm gonna knock him on his ass. Uh, he doesn't stand a chance. I'm going to attack, attack, attack. And everybody who watched the first fight and just knows about Tyson Fury and knows about his boxing style was like, that's just not going to happen. That is not something that 
many people think he was capable of doing is to be on the attack and really put pressure on Deontay Wilder because one of the times that Tyson Fury got knocked down, he was backing straight up and he was pulling he was pulling straight back instead of moving, you know, side to side, up, down, etc., moving his hands. He moved straight back and Deontay Wilder caught him with a hook and he went down flat on his back. And many people, and I assume also Deontay Wilder, I think he said as much, assumed that was the end of the fight, that Tyson Fury was down for the count and it was over. But he ended up getting back up, won another handful of rounds, and it went the full 12 rounds, ended in a draw. So, one thing that Tyson Fury mentioned, uh, or I believe Max Kellerman or some other boxing analyst mentioned that Tyson Fury's attack is based off the fact that Deontay Wilder is not particularly good when he's on the defensive. I'm not saying he's completely inept, it's just that he is a very aggressive boxer and when he's on the attack, you're kind of fucked because if you're just trying to defend yourself, one mistake, like I said, one mistake, one right jab, you're out, that's it, the fight's over. So... To be on the defensive against Deontay Wilder is not something you want, and Tyson Fury learned that because he got put on the canvas a couple times against him in their first fight. And he said he was going to come out and attack and attack and attack, but being that he wasn't that kind of fight fighter, it was a little unusual for him to to be to go this aggressive. Even to you know, a lot of people just assumed it was pre-fight banter and. He, it was just him saying this shit, and it was that wasn't actually what was going to happen. But that's exactly what happened. This fight started, and Tyson Fury was up in Deontay Wilder's grill pretty much the entire time. He landed a, a couple of really big shots early, ruptured his eardrum, I believe, in like the third round. Blood started coming out of Deontay Wilder. It might be even earlier, the second round maybe. Blood started coming out of Deontay Wilder's ear. Um, and Tyson Fury was, I mean, he was on top of it. He he knew he had him in the bag because there was one point where they were clinched and Tyson Fury literally started licking Deontay Wilder's neck and toying with him. And the Gypsy King, man, he was electric. I mean, he picked apart Deontay Wilder almost easily. Like something that was talked about a lot was just the differences between them not only in the ring but pre-fight. And there was like a way too long of a of a tracking shot of Deontay Wilder. It felt like he was walking across the entire MGM Gram. And it was like 15 minutes of just him walking down a hallway to get to his locker room, I, I guess. And he, he was very serious. He was very intense, which, you know, most people are when they're about to go fight somebody else. But Tyson Fury was like the opposite. He was chilling out, laughing, goofing around in his locker room, very lighthearted. And that's also the kind of guy that Tyson Fury is or puts out to be he's talked at length about his mental health struggles um but he he's he's the gypsy king right he's at least when it comes to fighting seems to be even in, in it's it's kind of shown in his style he's he's very 
you know, he dances. He did a whole karaoke session after he won. So, a uh, very fun guy. And it was just very odd to see the stark differences between uh, Fury and Wilder. And I don't know. It, it was it was it was interesting to note that the differences between them. Um, and then they had their openings. And this opening. Now, if you watch the fight, you know what happened. Like it was, it was over pretty quickly. Um, I thought maybe when I was watching in real time, I, I kind of had it. I think the fight ended in the sixth round. I had it um, at least through the first like three or so, four or so rounds. I had it three to one Fury. I thought Wilder won the second round, but as the fight came on, I realized it wouldn't matter. Fury, I mean, Tyson Fury's a he was a he was just a beast. He was a beast that fight, man. It, just an absolute monster. And this is where we we come to a dilemma now. Deontay Wilder's comments over the past few days. He will go over okay, so their both of their entrances were very different. Uh Tyson Fury was quote unquote carried in. That for sure wasn't carried because they were all carried by four like supermodel looking women no way they can lift him up on a giant thing it was obviously rolled but he was quote-unquote carried in on this giant throne looking thing he had the the crown on the gypsy king you know the whole spiel and he was rolled in showed up yeah 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 it was pretty cool I enjoyed it uh and then Deontay Wilder came in in this giant black suit like metal and diamond encrusted glowing red eyes kind of suit. He looked like a Power Ranger. It was sick. It was a very, very, very cool outfit. The problem that comes from this is Wilder's comments from a day or two ago where he said his costume really negatively affected his stamina and his legs. He said he was wearing it for about 10 to 15 minutes before he even walked out. And by the time he got to the ring and the first round started, he already felt like his legs were were fatigued and he and they were giving out. He didn't feel like he had his legs underneath him. And that that's the reason why he lost. And he also ended up saying, you know, Fury didn't even hit him that hard. He didn't feel like he got hit uh, directly or Fury got any clean shots in. But it was the fact that he literally didn't have his legs under him because of his entrance costume. That is the reason why he lost. First off, if these roles were reversed, Deontay Wilder would be talking so much shit and would laugh Tyson Fury out of the country. He would never leave Britain again. The fact that this is Wilder saying it is very disappointing. Um, You know, to say... To say, like, when the first round started, you felt like you didn't have your legs underneath you, and that was a huge problem to deal with in general, if he just said that and kept it, and didn't give really any reasoning, it was just like, hey, I just didn't feel like I ever had my legs underneath me, that's one thing, like, that can happen, that's believable, like, okay, that's something he has to work on for the next fight, that's one thing. To go and then blame it on your giant monstrosity of an entrance costume 
because it was very heavy and it was packing, quote-unquote, a lot of batteries and shit. That's, it's embarrassing. I mean, you are still arguably the greatest boxer in the game right now. You're, you're 42 and 1 and 1, or 43 1 and 1 with like 41 knockouts. You are still one of the baddest motherfuckers on the face of the earth. To go and make some bullshit excuse like that, I don't think anybody on the face of the earth besides Deontay Wilder is buying that excuse. It's just, it's just not. It's just not something that that makes any sense. I mean, you lost the fight because your eardrum burst. And you were bleeding out of your ear. That's why you lost the fight. <laughs> Tyson Fury landed some really hard, significant punches very early on. And your defense just could not account for the aggressive nature that was coming from Tyson Fury. I don't believe Tyson Fury has commented about what Wilder said. I don't think he will. Uh, it it doesn't like obviously the pre-fight shit talking is is very accustomed. Like that's just something that happens in the UFC boxing. It's it happens. You know, you talk shit about your opponent leading up to the fight, builds hype, et cetera, et cetera. Now I feel like it doesn't really seem like that's something Tyson Fury would do to come out and say, you know, that's bullshit. He's just being a bitch. Blah blah blah. Uh, he, he'll probably let his fists do the talking. Deontay Wilder, as part of his contract, is exercising the option to have a third fight against Tyson Fury. So we will get a Wilder versus Fury 3. And there are also rumblings that a Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua fight for the belt uh, will happen this year. I believe it's nine months. or, two, or there's, there's a time frame where the champ of the the weight class has to defend his title against someone before it it is uh vacated i think it's 9 months it might i don't want to say it's 6 that doesn't that's not nearly enough time for someone to train um and it might be 9 months to accept a fight not actually fight but there are rumblings now that anthony joshua is going to be the next person to challenge Tyson Fury. And it could happen within this year, within 2020. Probably, if I had to guess, somewhere in the fall or winter, like November maybe area, uh, Tyson Fury might fight again. And Anthony Joshua is an interesting opponent because he's someone who was supposed to have a title shot um, several, 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 several months ago. But he blew it because he got knocked out by Andy Ruiz, the people's champ. <laughs> he got put on his ass because Anthony Joshua was supposed to be like the next great, big, young boxer. And he lost to Anthony Ruiz. Yeah, and it just, uh, he's been, I think he's just trying to recover. So a title shot against Fury would definitely be something that he is going to have to win and and try and reestablish himself as one of the top boxers right now because he kind of fell off a little bit 
after that loss. Back to the Wilder thing. Um, it's obviously bullshit. I, I hate that he used it as an excuse because I really like Deontay Wilder. I love this his story and how he became this incredible boxer and everything he means. And if you don't know, uh, Deontay Wilder has a daughter who has a very uh, rare medical condition where he needed money fast to treat her. And I don't believe it was life-threatening, but it was life-inhibiting. You know, she couldn't really fully function without, like, the proper medicine. And he needed money fast to try and, you know, to afford this medication. And he, I think he played football in college, but, or basketball, one or the other, because he is, like, 6'7". And he was like, all right, well, neither one of those is really an option because it takes too long. I won't be able to to make money fast enough to get there. And he walked into a boxing gym and he started becoming and he started training to be a boxer. Ended up winning, I think it was a silver medal in the Olympics. And that's your story right there. Became a professional boxer, one of the baddest dudes alive, 40 plus something wins, 40 plus something knockouts later. And he finally suffers his first loss. Obviously secured the bag. Money is not an issue for him. But now his reputation is taking a little bit of a hit. The loss, if you just came out and said, you know, Fury came in with a great game plan, something we were not prepared for, um, something he wasn't prepared for. He said he came in 20, it was either like 15 or 25 pounds heavier than what he usually weighs in at. And he said, you know, he doesn't really keep track of weight his weight fluctuates all the time. It's not something he's too concerned about because he'll work out to his heart's desire and when he, whatever he weighs in at, he weighs in at. But Tyson Fury had a 40-pound difference. Now, if you look at their body, their their bodies in the ring, Tyson Fury is built very differently. Tyson Fury is about 6'9", 270 pounds. And he doesn't have, you know, an 18-pack. He isn't shredded he just looks like a really large average looking sick however average a, a guy who stands six foot nine can look Deontay Wilder is your prototypical athlete six like basketball athlete that's what he looks like he just looks like a basketball player he looks like LeBron James six seven cut up absolutely shredded like muscles on top of muscles and he's like 6'7", 220-ish, 230-ish. I guess he usually weighs in at 220. He came in at around like 230, 235, I think. So their body types are incredibly different. But they're, they're also their fighting styles are different. It's, it's just so crazy to look at them. And, and like if you showed me Deontay Wilder and was like, this guy is a professional boxer. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. If you showed me Tyson Fury and said this guy is a professional boxer, I'd be like, okay, well, how he's big, but how good is he? Because he just doesn't look like a boxer. Deontay Wilder looks like a boxer. Andy Ruiz is another one of those guys. Like when you saw him against Anthony Joshua, Anthony Joshua is shredded, in shape, cut up, big burly dude, and Anthony Ruiz, Andy Ruiz is just kind of a. <laughs> he he's he's a little bit more rounded 
Let's say that. But that's also the, the beauty of boxing is that uh, it is the sweet science. And if you don't have the sweet science, you can get beat. No matter if no matter how many inches bigger or how many pounds heavier you are than someone else, you could get beat by someone who is just more technically sound than you. Better footwork, better stamina, etc. You can get beat. All right, let's talk about Kobe's memorial. Uh, this was a public memorial held at Staples Center, 10 a.m. in Los Angeles. 10 a.m. Uh, West time, Western Coast time. Um, in Los Angeles, for the public, lots and lots of celebrities there. They showed a bunch of dudes, current NBA players, former NBA players, Hall of Famers. Uh, Steve Nash was there. Russell Westbrook and James Harden were there. Devin Booker was there. Um, D. Wade was there, obviously. Um, Kareem was there. Shaq, of course. Bill Russell. All, you know, you name it, they were probably there, right? And the guest speakers were were very interesting. Every guest speaker was excellent. I mean, they were awesome. Uh, the ceremony opened up with Beyonce, who apparently uh, is a very close friend to Vanessa Bryant. Who knew? Uh, but she came out and sang XO and Halo to open up the uh, the ceremony, the memorial. Very, 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 very good. Um, I'm not the biggest Beyonce fan anymore, but she crushed it because, you know, she's Beyonce. She's still Beyonce, whether I, I like the music she still puts out or not. I like old Beyonce, and she was she was excellent. Uh, the, the moderator, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, or the guy, he gave a speech to open it up and then just introduced each speaker next was Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Kimmel had a uh the Monday after Kobe died the next day Kimmel canceled his show and he just had a 1 hour special that essentially him just talking about Kobe and airing previous interviews he had done where Kobe came on the show with him and you know he came with a bunch of other Lakers sometimes sometimes by himself Uh, but Jimmy Kimmel was very broken up he has known Kobe for a long time and it was it was very sad he got very 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 choked up as did many people speaking and he was great I loved I loved Jimmy Kimmel I thought he was Really, really good. I like him more than Jimmy Fallon. No offense to Jimmy Fallon. He's also great, but I do like Jimmy Kimmel a lot. Uh, Diana Taurasi, arguably, well, not really arguably. She leads in like every stat in WNBA history, but arguably one of the greatest WNBA player ever. She spoke. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu, she currently plays for the Oregon Ducks. She is the first woman's or maybe even college basketball player in general, to have 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 1,000 assists. Gino Ariema, the head coach of the U- uh, women's UConn Huskies basketball team, he spoke. Uh, Rob Palenka, 
the general manager of the Lakers, and before he was the general manager of the Lakers, he was Kobe Bryant's agent for his entire career and his best friend and also the godfather of Gigi. Michael Jordan spoke, Shaq spoke, and shockingly, to me at least, Vanessa Bryant spoke. And when Vanessa spoke, um, I, I can't believe that this woman was was actually able to form words and get them out of her mouth. I, it was, and people were reacting to it on Twitter, just saying like, I cannot imagine what kind of strength this takes. And from a personal anecdote. Uh, I had to give a eulogy at my brother's wake when I was 18 years old. And that, and in front of like a, I don't even know, like a few hundred maybe people. And that was very difficult and emotional and stressful. And it was, obviously would not wish that upon anybody. So I only know a fraction of what Vanessa Bryan had to do because not only is she speaking about her husband, but she is speaking about her daughter, which I can imagine is probably, I don't want to even, you know what, I don't even want to imagine, but it, it, it might be even more painful than talking about Kobe. And not only does she have to speak about both of them, she has to do it in front of thousands of people. Most of which she does not know. They're just fans who bought tickets. Because they wanted to celebrate the life of Kobe and honor Kobe Bryant. And be there for that day. So there's there's only like a fraction of me that can understand what she's going through. But it is something that no, like no human being should wish upon another human being. And I, I commend her... And applaud her for even going up there and speaking. Because she did not have to. She did not owe anyone anything. She did not have to make a public appearance for the rest of her life. And I don't think anyone would blame her. But she somehow mustered up the strength and the courage to walk on stage and give a beautiful eulogy for her daughter, her 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, and her husband of 18 years, I think they got married in like 2001, 2002, Kobe. Dating, they probably dated even longer than that, but the love of her life, Kobe Bryant and her husband. So for her to, to do that, I don't know if she felt like she owed it, to the public to do something like that if she wanted to do it I understand that she like she has to she maybe felt like she wanted to say something she needed to say something but me and I'm pretty sure millions of other people would not have blamed her if she did not even come to this let alone speak and it could have just been filled with guest speakers eulogizing Kobe and that would have been fine 
I, I did like the, the interesting choices of guest speakers they had. So I believe it started off with Vanessa. Well, it was Kimmel, and then he introduced Vanessa. And when Vanessa was done, she actually got a little escort help from Michael Jordan, who helped her down the stairs, which was an amazing picture uh, and just like a, a moment in time to see her being helped down the stairs by MJ. That was surreal. Um, then I believe it was Tarasi, Ariema, INSQ, and Tarasi, she got help. She uh, was very, she was close to Kobe and they worked out a lot together. Oriema, of course, is the head coach of the UConn Women's Huskies team, and he and Gigi was she very much, and Kobe and him were and her were open that the fact that she wanted to go and play for UConn, she wanted to be a WNBA player, et cetera, et cetera, you know, basketball. And Oriema gave some very nice, heartfelt words about, uh, you know, Kobe approaching him, talking about the women's side of the game. Uh, and how he should approach it a little bit different. Maybe he should how he should approach it differently, etc. Whatever. Very nice. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu was the one that was very touching for me because she said she grew up watching Kobe, idolizing Kobe, and then Kobe was a very large part of the the Oregon Ducks, and he helped train her with Team USA and with the Ducks. And Gigi met her a handful of times, and Kobe was a guy who, while all of this was happening, just stood off in the corner. And he wasn't being Kobe Bryant, the NBA legend basketball player. He was just being Kobe Bryant, the dad. And I thought that was amazing to hear. Uh, it It was just incredible. And then Jordan and Shaq were the last two to wrap it up. And MJ was hysterical. I mean, tears streaming down his face. And he may have delivered the most perfect joke at the most perfect time to lighten the mood of a very somber event. And he said, now I got, now I'm up here, you know, Kobe's got me about to stare at another meme for the next three or four years. And everyone started laughing because... There is a very infamous meme, of course, if you do not know and you are not on the internet for some reason. There is a very famous meme that's been circulating for about 10 years now of Jordan crying during his Hall of Fame speech. And now there are a few pictures out there that have I have not seen used in memes yet because it's probably still a little early because it's not something, it's not a happy like a a happy Hall of Fame induction speech that he was crying at. Like, that's why that was used. This was at a memorial for a guy that many, 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 many people idolized and loved. So might be a while till you see that meme circulating, but he more or less gave the okay to to use it (laughs) because he's expecting to see it. But he delivered that joke at the perfect time and he spoke very candidly about Kobe and about how it started off as this kind of he always saw Kobe as a little a, a little annoying brother someone who always pestered him for advice and help and they would always challenge to challenge each other and 
um, he said something really beautiful about how he always got comparisons. He said, people would always ask me about the similarities between me and Kobe, but all I wanted to talk about was Kobe. And I thought that was that was really nice. And it, when Jordan was talking about him, it, it very much sounded like they had a a big brother younger brother relationship it, it just it was straight from the book that's what it sounded like uh, just how he was talking about and the tone in which he was talking about their relationships and their moments together it was great it was great and then Shaq wrapped it up as far as the speakers and uh he also delivered a amazing line where he said the day he really gained a lot of respect for Kobe is when people, someone came up to Shaq and they were like, yo, Kobe, you got to, I mean, Shaq, you got to go tell Kobe to pass the ball, man. He's got to pass the ball more. And Shaq said he went up to Kobe and said, yo, Kobe, there's no I in team. And Kobe responded with, no, but there's an M.E. in that motherfucker. Which, again, perfect joke at the perfect time. And it was, uh... It was awesome. Shaq, I think, had the shortest speech of all, and, you know, rightfully so. I'm sure it was very emotional for him. Um, Not as emotional as what Vanessa did, but Vanessa, you know, she is important. She could have taken up all two hours talking about it, and I think everyone would have been okay with it. There's no timetable for her. For Shaq, it was more or less... He wanted to say a couple words, and that was it. The service overall was, uh, it was beautiful, really well done uh, by ESPN and you know NBA TV, all the other outlets that broadcasted it. It was on TV on ESPN and NBA TV. It was streaming on YouTube on several different channels. Every major news outlet, really, I think, was streaming it. Um, the Washington Post. The uh, USA Today, the LA Times, probably the New York Times. There was a lot of YouTube channels streaming it. The Lakers YouTube channel. So it was very accessible. Um, Again, great job on the broadcasting part to to make it as accessible as possible because it, it did take place in the middle of the day on a Monday. So a lot of people might not have been able to see it. But with it streaming on everything, it made it a little bit easier Again, I can't stress enough the uh, the the courage and the strength of of Vanessa Bryant. Just a uh, an an astounding human being she is, and I think she has been very much in the background um, as far as you know. The Bryant family, because Kobe is, he was the guy. He was front and center, and Vanessa was the matriarch. She was, she kind of held it all down. Wasn't ever really in the spotlight. Never seeked fame or stardom. Like her, she never really went and sought out her own spotlight. She was very much just, you know, Vanessa Bryant, the wife and mother. So for her to come out, and give such a wonderful eulogy for both Gigi and Kobe is, again, 
It's it's just something that a lot of people and even myself can't fully wrap their head around what she had to do to even get on the stage, let alone speak. Now, the one bit of controversy I want to... It's not even controversy. That's the wrong word. Um, Just news that's been circling that I think the general public has more or less just completely snuffed out and suffocated and put an end to is where LeBron was. I watched the memorial with my mom and I did say to her about, you know, halfway, three quarters of the way through, I don't think they showed LeBron yet. And now, yes, last night it was kind of circulating. Someone asked about, uh, you know, the, the memorial on Monday and how it was. And he said, you know, I definitely respect your question for sure. Uh, very emotional, very, very emotional day. And people, aka, and by people, I mean, I think it was LA Times, was reporting LeBron never outright said he was at the memorial. Was LeBron at the memorial at all? Did he go? Did he not go? Et cetera, et cetera. And I had read some things saying that he had requested prior to not be filmed. He did he did not want to be filmed during the memorial. And that that makes sense. Like I get it. He does not want to take anything. Like he doesn't want people to, or the the broadcasts to be going back and forth to him all the time to get reactions and stuff. He wants to make it about Kobe and his loved ones. Now, last night was when the story the story starts circulating about was he there at all, and at least on Twitter. It was put it was put down pretty quickly like yo who cares like this is not something to be made a story this is not made something to be controversial this is not something that needs to be made a headline it's not if he was there if he wasn't it doesn't matter that's lebron that's his prerogative he doesn't have to be there he didn't ha- he did- he wasn't required to be there if he didn't want to be there cuz he was too sad or was too emotional or what have you, it it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to be there. Like, people grieve in different ways. So this this story, I I I haven't seen any updates on it, but I, uh, I assume that it's probably dead. I would not expect many other people to... I would be very surprised if, if by the next Lakers game, they played last night, and I believe that's when it was asked. After the game last night against the Pelicans, I I would not expect after that, after last night, many people to or anybody to ask LeBron again if he or if he was not at the memorial. I will assume he is, or he was. But like I said, I don't really think it matters. So if you did not see the memorial for Kobe Bryant, it was very, very beautiful. 
very well done. So if you haven't seen it, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. Uh, I would I would say go watch it. The speeches are all great. It's very emotional. Obviously, if you're not in the mood to get sad, don't watch it. But if if you have nothing else to do and you don't really care if you get sad, <laughs> you should you should give it a give it a watch. It was it was very nice and very well done. But that will wrap it up for this episode of from my point of view. Thank you all for listening. We are at the end of February here, so into March we go. March Madness, college basketball. I have not talked about college basketball at all, but I will next week, I promise you. March Madness is going to be insane. No co- no team is a sure pick. No, it doesn't every team is losing. Every there's a there's a top 5 team losing every week. It's bananas. No team, no number one seed is a surefire bet this year. It's going to be crazy. So I can go over that a little bit next week. Uh, but thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you all next Wednesday.